Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hi, I'm John Mascarenas from the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City, and I'm thrilled to be joining uh, my good friend Serge Rostopic from MD Anderson. Serge, thanks for joining us. Hello, John. So um, I think right now we'll sort of pivot towards some of the, the data that was presented at ASH as it relates to the, the JAK inhibitor space. And, and maybe you could start us off with what was, uh, what was new at ASH uh, as it relates to mamalotinib and, and maybe some longer-term follow-up. As uh, we know, mamalotinib is a new JAK inhibitor that we would uh, expect to be approved by summer 2023, not because primarily that would be increasing the spleen and symptom control, but because of anemia benefits. So uh, the phase three randomized study called Momentum Study was a blinded randomized study comparing uh, danazole to mamelotinib for the benefit of symptom control and anemia benefit. And that was transfusion independence. And it was better than control. And that's why we talk about possible uh, approval for these two benefits, which is unlike any other. What we learn at this ASH is that these benefits are long lasting. Uh, we have a 48 week follow-up uh, presented, uh, people do not lose benefit much at all. We also had a presentation on long-term safety, not only from that study, but also pr- from prior studies. Uh, there were two other phase three studies done in the past, uh, and now we have hundreds of patients followed, so it uh, appears to be very safe. There is no one single uh, major problem, like no amazing uh, bad GI or neurological or anything like that. It seems to be very tolerable. And the dose intensity, very good. Hardly anybody changed the dose. And he also, from a practical point, uh, some uh, small but very important points of uh, how to change from one uh, jack inhibitor to the other. Uh, because momentum study was in second setting, so people were previously treated with ruxolitinib. And what we know from a past experience now reanalyzed is that you don't need to worry much about changing from ruxolitinib to momelotinib. There are Similar in tackling the JAK1 and JAK2, so anti-proliferative, anti-inflammatory potential in particular are similar, and uh, you don't need to worry about the rebound uh, of uh, symptoms uh, in people who suddenly stop ruxolitinib. Mamelotinib will pick up that benefit, and you can change it uh, without much of a worry. So uh, quite a few uh, uh, long-term kind of safety and practical points uh, on mamelotinib at ASH uh, this uh, past week. Excellent. I, there were there were two presentations that involved mamalotinib that I thought were interesting that I'll add to it. One, you know, one was the idea that uh, patients, and and this was shown with the the Simplify study originally, and now with the Momentum study, the fact that patients who attained anemia responses, which is what in many ways differentiates mamalotinib from uh, the other JAK inhibitors, uh, were more likely to also enjoy um, survival benefit. And I think that's an you know an interesting component to this. We know that anemia is a poor prognostic marker in this disease and incorporated into risk stratification models. Um, but it is interesting to see that uh, correction of anemia, resolution of anemia, improvement of anemia would also potentially set that patient on a, on a better um, clinical outcome course, whether that's the inherent biology of the, of the disease that are, those patients are responding or it's literally improving anemia, I think is not quite clear, but it's an interesting finding uh, nevertheless. And along these lines of a survival benefit or a benefit, clinical benefit, and a correlation with any biological parameters that we usually measure, like a bone marrow fibrosis, uh, there was an interesting presentation on the long-term follow-up 
average five to six years, if I'm correct, of uh, several hundreds of patients treated with vomilotinib or uh, ruxolitinib from these past phase three studies, which uh, revealed no correlation, no correlation between the bone marrow change and the clinical outcomes. For example, people had a worse fibrosis over time, but they still improved the anemia. Or the other way around, if uh, there was improvement in the fibrosis, there was no improvement in the spleen. So basically, there's no connection between any of the benefits, anemia, spleen, or symptoms, uh, and the change for worse or for better of the bone marrow fibrosis, telling us that uh, more practical issues like uh, anemia uh, response and transfusion independent appear to be more valuable as a marker for survival benefit rather than the biological marker of a change, in this case, of a fibrosis score. Yeah, excellent point. I think what I took away from that abstract was that if one were treating with a JAK inhibitor, particularly monotherapy, and it's probably true of any JAK inhibitor, we shouldn't really be looking uh, at bone marrow fibrosis because it really doesn't help guide us in, in treatment in any respect. It doesn't associate with any of the meaningful clinical outcomes. And really, in, in the commercial space, when you're when using in the community, one should not be looking to repeat bone marrow biopsies to assess bone marrow fibrosis response because it really is not a meaningful biomarker when treating with these drugs um, and is an unnecessary procedure unless patients have an actual change in their disease uh, features. I think, um, you know, to, to balance out this discussion, you know, maybe you could highlight for us if there were any updates on fedratinib, which, as you pointed out, is often relegated to the second-line setting. Interestingly, some years ago, fedratinib was also published as a changing the bone marrow fibrosis. But as you said, we do not need to do any bone marrow biopsies with any JAK inhibitor to look at uh, changes in biological parameters. We only need to do biopsy if there is a progression blasts go up or you lose the response and you want to explain that and start something new. So fedratinib is primarily used in clinical practice in the sequence setting. Uh, and at this, uh, actually, there was a, a final result of the uh, phase two open level study called Freedom Study, which was throughout the United States uh, in a second line setting, specifically very well-defined group of people who are resistant, refractory, intolerant to ruxolitinib. And we got a confirmation, which we suspected from the past study, uh, that about a quarter of the patients have very good response. We, we call this about half of the spleen gone or a 35% volumetric reduction. And many people feel better about the same rate, uh, rate. So 25, maybe 30% response rate, which is really good actually in a second setting because not too many uh, medications can achieve that, not even investigational agents. And I take this as my benchmark, what to expect from therapy in a second setting, quarter to a third response rate. The same is with pacritinib. Uh, if you recall uh, the studies, overall response rate is about 25-30%, uh, even in the second line. But what, what happened with the updates on the on the pacritinib and ASH? So the, the pacritinib updates were centered in, in large part around um, a, a recent understanding and discovery that pacritinib is also an ACBR1 uh, inhibitor. And ACBR1 is a pathway um, that's related to hepcidin and uh, anemia responses and uh, was first really appreciated in the setting of mamalotinib. It was un appreciated very early on in the early phase studies that mamalotinib did have this uh, anemia response that was quite durable as has been published. Um, and then uh, as uh, the drug was in further clinical development, that response was tagged to the fact that, um, that mamalotinib was an ACBR1 inhibitor. And then more recently, Steve-O and colleagues uh, looked at the kinome profile of pacritinib um, and also recognized that it, it, it is also an ACBR1 inhibitor, which 
which Vedratinib and Ruxolinib are not. Um, and that might also explain why, uh, at least give some mechanistic explanation, probably in addition, and I don't think it's that simple, in addition with other um, pathways that are relevant, like IRAC1 for Picritinib, why you do see uh, some patients developing uh, transfusion um, independence who are transfusion dependent or have a two gram per deciliter increase in hemoglobin in about a quarter of patients that were treated in the PERSIST-2 uh, study, which again, were patients already with low platelets and and um, significant cytopenia. So you have two drugs now that that hit this relevant pathway um, and, and can provide in a proportion of patients um, uh, spleen symptom and, and potentially even anemia benefit, which really, I think, broadens our ability to help our patients. A another um, interesting percretinib um, abstract was tying in the significance of thrombocytopenia with some of the features that we don't typically think of. So the fact that um, thrombocytopenia, when looking at um, uh, symptoms or even individual symptoms and spleen-related symptoms, symptoms that you don't normally think of um, as, a, as a, a symptom that would associate with thrombocytopenia were more closely associated with thrombocytopenia than even anemia uh, in this analysis by, by Dr. Palmer and colleagues. So, uh, you know, I, I think our, our conventional um, understanding or appreciation of the significance of cytopenia is, is evolving. And we recognize that it's not just a hallmark of the disease um, and a feature of disease progression, um, but can also be used as a, as a biomarker to identify patients who are probably more in need uh, and um, and uh, consider therapies that are, are now evolving beyond uh, the traditional ruxolitinib and dratinib approaches. And there were not that many updates on the ruxolitinib alone, but there were a, a bunch of, as it's customary these days, reports on the combinations on top of ruxolitinib. Now, very briefly, very briefly, we are waiting for phase three results while we are learning more about the longer-term follow-up of patients on the combinations with the Pelabresi, for example, or with the Navitoclax or Parsaclisib. Uh, they are valuable. They improve the spleen and symptoms, maybe even anemia in some cases. The phase three studies are focused specifically on boosting that spleen and symptom response, and hopefully in a couple of years, we'll have some of those mature enough. But for now, I think in general, uh, without going into much details, they appear promising uh, to me. I would like to see also durability of that benefit as a next step. Uh, and I think we wrote an editorial together on that particular point, uh, yep. right? Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I mean, it's an exciting time to be in clinical investigation in this field um, as the paradigm might shift from monotherapy, JAK inhibitor, the combination. And I would even throw out there that it would be fascinating to see how some of these agents that clearly have even single agent activity, but better in combination with the JAK inhibitor do with some of these now emerging uh, inhibitors like picritinib and mamalotinib. Can you effectively add a BET inhibitor or a BCL2 inhibitor and get similarly, maybe even better results with, with uh, these other JAK inhibitors? So I think there's a lot to be done. I know that you and I will continue to be busy and continue to interact on many levels. Uh, and I thank you for joining us and, and sharing your, your knowledge and experience today as we discuss um, um, some of the highlights uh, at ASH 2022. So uh, thank you for listening and we'll sign off. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit, or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.